just because you shoot raw doesn't make you inherently better than everybody else. A lot of new street photographers would probably just pick up a camera and randomly walk around just photographing whatever they want and snap, 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 snap that they're a street photographer. And I, I don't think that they are. That's, that, I think that is a genius idea for a, for, for, for. Hello, fellow photographers. In this episode, I'm talking with Alex Kilby, professional portrait photographer with more than 30 years of experience. We are talking about Alex's YouTube channel, about rules in photography, photography tips to make better pictures of your family and children, and more. My name is Martin and this is podcast about photography. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Make sure you're subscribed if you want to be notified when I post a new episode. And also, there is a one thing I would love you to do. I would be very thankful if you could go and give this podcast 5-star rating and a review. If you like this content, and you think other people might enjoy it as well, feel free to take a screenshot and throw it out on your Instagram story or share it with your friends. You can also find all the information in the description. Now, without any further ado, let's talk about photography. Thank you for joining me, Alex. How is it? How is it? <laughs> how's it? How's it, uh, Martin? Thanks ever so much for having me here. It's, it's an absolute pleasure um, to be to be speaking with you and to, to you know to be sharing stuff on on your channel. Uh, thank you for joining us today. As I said, Alex is a photographer, but uh, he has also a YouTube channel called The Photographic Eye. So check it out if you have not subscribed already. Uh, speaking of YouTube, can you maybe tell me something about this YouTube hobby, which you are not fairly new, but <laughs> you know, compared to your photography career, uh, it's uh, pretty new, I guess, to you. Uh, yes, yeah, um, yeah. So, so the YouTube is uh, so the photographic eye channel was started. Oh, it's only like November um, last year after much procrastination on my part. Um, so I was, I was waiting ages to to get it going, and um, and it's always something I'd, I'd wanted to do for for ages and ages and ages. I just never really got got round to it. Um, and it sort of dovetailed neatly with with my photographic career because I had a, a, a sort of a formal education in, in photography, and and that side of things I really really enjoyed. And and I wanted to have a platform, uh, you know, to, to be able to share the things that I've learned along the way with 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 other people who might be interested not necessarily pro photographers but a lot of sort of you know sort of people who just you know do it for the love of it um and don't often have access to this kind of more structured education um and it's just a nice little way of of, of building a community of of, of of people who love photography and and unfortunately um you know it's it seems to be resonating with people so i'm, I'm really really happy with that and would you say it was because of the pandemics that you you know kind of like decided to jump on the boat like what speed it up uh, this you know making the YouTube <laughs> channel or like you said it was uh, something you always wanted to do but it uh, took you quite some time to to actually do it so yeah the something? the um yeah the the I'd always found because I was, I have a, a physical family portrait studio um locally so that always kind of took up a lot of my free time for one of a better word obviously it was, it, it was work so any sort of time that i had to myself was doing other sort of family things so i never really kind of found the time and also i have a, a, a small sort of uh, yes, I have a three-year-old boy at home so the, the original time last march when everything was closing down i found a lot of time on my hands uh, i also found having a three-year-old <laughs> On my hands, so, so there was absolutely no chance of, of doing anything um, uh, with with the YouTube channel. Um, but but in 
towards the tail end of the year, they'd open up the nursery so he could go to nursery. And I found myself with time to, to actually jump in and, and get started on, on the YouTube um, side of things with the photographic eye. And, and so it was, I, I think, a positive that came out of that whole sort of um, side of things is that I was kind of forced almost to, to, to find something to keep me occupied because I can't just stay at home and play video games all day. <laughs> um, and, and it was really great, you know, because also there were, there, there were people also online looking for, for things to do. So it was, it was a happy sort of coincidence. And, um, and yes, yeah, so as I said, the, you know, the response to the photographic eye has been really positive. Um, and, and especially over the last sort of three months or so. And, Your motto or something I found on, on your website is uh, not gear, just ideas. So when yes. you started the channel, did you always wanted to start the YouTube channel and not talk about the gear? Yeah, um, I I think most, most people who have a passing interest in photography online have heard of the art of photography and, and, and Ted Forbes. I think he's like kind of one of those, those original channels that, that sort of covered photography and I really enjoyed his older videos you know the stuff we talked about um well the art of photography and and photographers in, in general and and over the years I was finding that more and more channels when I wanted to go and look at photography were talking about lenses and cameras and 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 things of that nature and and it was it was disappointing I understand why people do it and and that there is a there is an interest in those sort of things but For me, it wasn't really what I wanted to spend time watching, you know. Um, so I thought, well, I'm going to need to, if nobody else is going to do these videos, then I need to start doing videos. And, and it seems as a, a few other people, I think yourself included, and some other people have also had similar ideas and gone, let's just make the videos. Rather than moaning that so-and-so isn't making them, if we make them, then at least we can start to to tell other people there is there is an option that you can talk about photography we're not having to discuss megapixels and focal lengths and and things and that's where for me certainly talking about photography is 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 far more enjoyable because we all interpret images in in our own unique ways and um it just it just feels that there is definitely a a a a, a, a desire For, for, for people to to have this kind of discussion I know YouTube's a bit of a problem because you can't you can't have a two-way discussion uh -huh. um, and and I wanted to make it quite clear from the outset uh, that my channel isn't going to be about gear that it's not going to be about lenses and, and and camera reviews and and that seemed a good way as any to just say look I'm going to plant my flag in the sand and say we're not going to do lens reviews so if you want to watch me, do lens reviews, then you're going to be SOL, right? You need to go off somewhere else and, and watch, you know, because there are other people who do far better than me. But if you want to sit and be part of a, of a community that discusses photography, and I say photography with a capital P, um, then then this is this is the place for you. It's, photography it's, as you know, an art, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. And and that's exactly what what people are resonating with. You know, it's, 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 it's really, really good to hear. And do you feel it's uh, we can blame a so-called YouTube algorithm uh, for for that? That often people say that this thing called YouTube algorithm might push some creators towards you know some direction which focus more on views and likes. Do you, do it, you sometimes feel I wouldn't say obligated, but that some topics do better than others? 
I, I think there is a case for that some topics do do better than others. Um, it, it's it's such a sort of a complex sort of question, but I, but I'm going to break it down to a very simple thing. <laughs> um, there's I, I think there's two parts initially, right? That there's there are people who want to talk about photography, and it's easy to talk about lenses and gear and and stuff like that because it's, it is a it's it's a thing. There will be a manual that says this is all the stuff. So you can pick up a manual and say, look, it's X, Y, and Z, so bits and bobs. And they gravitate towards that sort of thing because you don't need to have an education, for want of a better word, to talk about that. You can just read off a website and, and say, I like this camera and it does this, and this is why I use it. It's harder to talk about photography. So if you look at William Eggleston's work or, or something and say – this is what I get from it to interpret it and put it into to language and then, you know, sort of share that opinion with somebody. So, so I think that's kind of one barrier right there. Where's why there's more sort of gear reviews um, and, and tutorials and how to's. And then, of course, what happens with that is that there's a follow on of people who then want to learn how to use their new cameras. And they want to learn about it because, you know, buying a new camera or lens is, is not cheap. You know, it is it is a purchase that, that can be quite quite hefty, and so they gravitate towards those things. So they get lots of views and and what have you, what have you, and then people think that's what you need to make more of. So it's kind of like a, a, a vicious circle of people watch it, so you make more of that, and people watch it, so you make more of that. Yeah. yeah. And and I think what's happened, if you look at say videos about famous photographers from ten ish years ago. They've got a, three, a few thousand views. They haven't really got much. You know, even like really famous people who I would imagine are quite famous people. Um, it's – people weren't watching it. So I think that's why people, you know, did – Ted Forbes got some traction probably because of his subscriber base. But everybody else was putting out a video about Irvin Penn and it gets a thousand views. And they're like, yeah, what's the point? I do a, pic, I do a review about a 50 mil lens and I'll get 10,000 views. Yeah. So it's kind of that sort of thing. Uh but now we're sort of seeing that, you know, I did a, a video about Desiree Dolren, who most people, I think it's fair to say, have probably not heard of. But, you know, and the 16,000 views in, in four-ish weeks, which is not crazy numbers, but it's showing that people are starting to, to realize that there are videos that can be made about the art of photography, which, which will get some views and which will be worthwhile to, to – to use a you know to wonder a, a better phrase and if you look at um one of your videos you know the the the, the queen's gambit um uh videos about the color composition i think it was things like that people are being more intelligent about the way that we put forward the ideas yeah and i think that's kind of you know as, as youtube has evolved as a platform that creators like ourselves are being also more intelligent about how we put forth our ideas and make it more entertaining and yeah. i think that's probably probably the main thing talking about that specific video i kind of what what i i i like that it got some traction and you know people liked it but what i actually don't like about that too much that i kind of feel like it pushes me into this kind of direction i'm not sure i want to go um let me explain uh i did uh like i don't know a video about ansel adams or about fun Ho or about 
other you know amazing photographers and then i did a video about a netflix series and mm. what it did was like people were interested in in the netflix series and then there were comments like we are expecting you to do more videos about you know watch this series or watch this movie and talk about it first of all there is only so many things you can talk about when you when you (laughs) you know there's like complementary colors and then they use this color scheme and this color Mm. scheme and so on but i didn't want to go into this direction to have a channel about talking about modern movies and you know in the end you will talk about uh, friends or i don't know the big bang theory and you know i just feel it's not it's not the direction I wanted to go, but the YouTube algorithm, we can say, kind of showed me like this is what people wanted to watch. And so I'm still wondering if if you can go your own direction and f- find the audience that actually like that. But I think it's sometimes harder than go for those <coughs> mainstream topics, uh, such as uh, such as, you know, talking about what's trending now. And mm. also about the gear. It, it, it is tricky, isn't it? Because I, I've always maintained that one of the, the biggest hurdles, certainly I thought as, as, a, as when I started up the photographic eye, was like, how do you get people to search or discover photographers that they don't know? You know, if, you, if you're not familiar with um, with Desiree Dolren or something like that, you're not, you're not going to type in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you can't find her. And then it's like, you know, so it's a bit of a, a, a catch 22. And I believe once you once you have a bigger subscriber base, then that makes that process easier because obviously you're going to have people who will watch it anyway. And YouTube has a bit more of an idea about it than some people who would like it. Um, but initially, and this is why I've kind of got two sort of parts to, to my website where there's photographers whose work I enjoy. And we talk about the photography in them. So, you know, like like with Alex Webb talking, looking at his book and then talking about layering. So rather than making it a, a biography of Alex Webb, it's more like this is why you might enjoy his photography. But then also trying to spread a net a little bit wider and say to people – um, uh, you know, discuss topics that aren't necessarily gear and they aren't necessarily tutorials, but they're things that are lacking. Hence, they kind of, this is the art of, of seeing series that I do. So talking, helping people to learn about using their their, their eyes, which is the, big, the best tool that a photographer has. And that way, encouraging people to, to come look at the channel and hopefully they see the other content. So it's kind of like a little gateway. It's <laughs> sort of a gateway content that entices people in and then you can say look you know if you like this have you considered this person have you considered that have you you know so it's all those those kind of things I, I, that seems to be doing okay um and it but it is frustrating when you do a video about a photographer whom you think is, is really good and, and that people will benefit from and you put it out and it just it just falls flat and you kind of go it's like gordon parks you know, Gordon yeah. Parks is a great photographer and, and a very interesting person. And you put out a video and it's got like 4,000 views and, you know, over and then it just goes and it just it just dies. And and so that is it is it is tricky. Well, you still um, kind of need to play the YouTube game to do like, let's say, I don't know, five things to learn from this amazing photographer or something like that, which, you know. Yeah, it, it is hard because, yeah, you. 
yeah, and and you do. I do feel <clears throat> it, it feels slightly like you're kind of being a little bit. I, I don't want to say clickbaity because it's not. I'm not. You know, we don't offer up a title that has nothing to do with the video, um, but it does feel like it's a little bit kind of shouty. If one of it was like you're kind of just shouting to an audience, like, look, this is what you must do, you know, <laughs> um, as opposed to, you know, uh, being just somebody who wants to, to share stuff. And it is, it is hard because you do need to stand out amongst the crowd. But I have at least noticed that within certainly the, 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 the channels that my, subscribers watch and and those sorts of end the channels that i watch myself that the the thumbnails and the titles aren't necessarily 10 million things you can do with a camera in five seconds mm. and, and you know <laughs> things like that they are kind of very much straight line titles you know th th things that i wish i'd know when i was getting started now that's a fair a fair comment or you know the, the alex webb um, I, you know, I, I sort of said with, with that one, so he's 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 99% failure. So it's kind of like, oh, whatever. But that's one of his one of his quotes. He says that his street photography is is about being a failure 99% of the time, and that's I think a, a fair thing. But it, it, it is good to see that people like like Ted Forbes, um, T Hopper. Who I think you may um, that lady um, who who does things. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, that's all the wonderful channel. Yeah. Yeah, all the titles are fairly normal for, yeah. for one of a better word um so at least within our own environment we don't need to be shouty rah rah sort of things and 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 it attracts a certain crowd um and and i think that crowd are looking for something like what we offer that's presented in a way that isn't a million cut screens 10 seconds <laughs> and i'm gonna like yeah, in your face, smash the like button. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and people connect with that, and I and I, that's that's in, enjoyable to see. Speaking about, you mentioned uh, your tips on YouTube, and <clears throat> I know <throat> you have studied practical photography. You studied photography when you when you <clears throat> produce a video uh, about like tips. Does it come from that background of your <clears throat> education, or is it more like your? more than 30 years of your experience being a photographer what's what's more important in your uh how do you see it i think it's more the experience more the experience uh, yeah i think yeah the the technical like the nuts and the bolts they're fairly easy to to to, to learn certainly at the basic level and they're fairly easy to be extremely competent with but what people don't really talk about they or they certainly don't teach is is the experience of of being the the inner struggle of of thinking everything that you take pictures of is rubbish of of you know of learning to think like a photographer learning to to see the world differently that's a very tricky thing i can't do a tutorial on how to see the world like a photographer i can i can show you my experience and i think this is always um, why I tend to weave within all my my videos some sort of story or a narrative about about to give it context about how it can help and I think that's a lot a lot easier so so the experience of things like people creating photographs for Instagram just to get likes so 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 
not doing photographs for themselves, not creating stuff that comes from here and giving their voice, their, their visual voice a, 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 an expression, but taking pictures that they want for, for other people to be to, to like. So that's kind of something that comes from experience of, of saying like, it's okay, you don't need to have people like your photographs in, in, in inverted commas for it to be successful. You know, however you want to define a, a successful photograph. And you can't do that. You can't get that if you've only just picked up a camera 10 minutes ago or something because it only comes from this experience. So that's why a lot of my uh, certainly, I hesitate to use the word technical videos, but the, the videos where I talk about concepts and things have a sort of self-esteem thing going on where they, they kind of they you know there's like a motivational speech because there is so much that can trip you up as a photographer because i certainly believe that anything that you create any photograph that you take has a bit of you in it and and when people offer criticism or just they just don't like it whatever it's very tricky it's very easy to fall into this idea of thinking that they're criticizing you as a person you know, that, that because they don't like that picture and that picture has some of you in it, that they are being nasty about you. And that's, of course, not, not the case. But certainly for a new person and certainly online in this environment that most photographers or new photographers find themselves in these days, it's very easy to fall into that trap. So that's why I kind of tend to, to draw on the experience and, and share these experiences that I've, I've built up and I've, I've collected over the years to hopefully help other people avoid those those mistakes and 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 be happier with with their own photographic process that being said you obviously think the education is important you know so because of the direction you took with your channel right so uh, as someone who studied photography why is history of photography uh, important for someone who is taking pictures today it's it's interesting that you talk about sort of the, the, the importance of, of knowing where you come from. And I, and I think it's, if we look at, and I'm going to come back to Instagram now, the Instagram's full of, and it's a gross generalization, younger people who know how to take what are called lollipop pictures. So that's a Paul Hill, who's an educator, or is, is a lecturer in photography, writes some various things. But he calls them lollipop pictures. So you look at them, they go, oh, that's nice. And then you move on to the next thing. So they don't have any substance to them. And if you just do lollipop pictures the whole time, so you go on Instagram and you look and you think that's what you should be doing, then you never really grow. You never really round yourself out. You never grow your skill set because you're just copying a lightweight thing, just something that looks pretty. You're copying a technique and, and what have you. And, and that's perfectly fine because copying is a way of, of, of learning. But when you look at, older photographers when you look at going back through through history and you say somebody like Nadar so Felix Nadar is a French um, photographer in the sort of 1800s and you look at his portraiture for example you then can sort of see okay well I'm just gonna see how all these little things they build up on each other and they 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 give you more building blocks if you think about it like Lego right so children play with lego and stuff like that if you give them just flat pieces 
right? They can only ever build things that look flat. But when you start introducing other shapes and other types of bricks and what have you, it gives them more tools in their own toolbox to express themselves. And that's kind of why I think it's so important to not necessarily study the history of photography, knowing what, which process came first and all that sort of thing, but looking at older photographers because they have so much to teach us about how we can all interpret the world because they they were not doing it certainly the the you know the the the, the early pioneers they weren't doing it to impress people they were doing it from a spirit of of discovery and 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 invention and the more that you look at these things that they 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 kind of build up a visual library in your head and the more that more ingredients that you can put in then the more unique the the the, the end result is um, that I've certainly found and do you think this is something that uh, has changed over time when we talk how uh, the social media, for example, influence the photography? Because you talked about people, and uh, I know it from uh, you know your other videos, about people who went uh, and uh, did photography projects that took you know weeks, months, and now when you know with the internet, Instagram, other social. Uh, social mm. media, everything is faster, and I kind of feel like when I look at the Instagram, I see a lot of people tend to go in this direction of posting like a strong uh, single images uh, instead of you know to get the likes and comments and stuff. And how does in your photography eye, uh, how does the photography changed uh, you know during the time? Uh, from when you started, like up till now, mm. and how did social media changed the photography as we know today? Yeah, it's, it's I, I will come back to but I just got to do, and a nice neat thing. The great Vanzini in the in the text has just said that he's he's bought some um, some books and he's mentioned the Americans by Robert Frank, and and I think that's an excellent example of what you're talking about. You know, looking at single images, the Americans is a book that is designed to look at as, as a book. And it's the same as um, uh, Walker Evans's book, uh, American Photographs, that in the original um, preface to, to that, in, in bold caps, apparently there was there was text saying, you are required, not required, but you should look at the pictures in this book in sequence because they told a story and they all worked. They weren't just randomly put into the game. And I think that's one of the things that people have lost in the digital age and sitting on Instagram is that the, the It's all about the single image. It's not about having photographs working together and coming together as, as a narrative. So that's one big, huge change that I think people are less inclined to look at photography as, as, a, as a body of work. So it's all about just that one standalone thing that exists in, in a vacuum, which of course is not, not the case at all, so it shouldn't be. When, if I sort of cycle back to when I was a, a student, and that was kind of the early 90s, so digital was sort of coming in in terms of digital photography. The internet was around, but for those of us who, who were there at that time, it was, it took 15 minutes to download a one meg file and stuff. So image sharing was just like, no, we're not, <laughs> that's not. Um, and in fact, my first website, I, I, I apologize for the fact that I put up 640 by 480 size pictures and i said look these are going to take a while to download because they're like kind of 200k each you know so so the idea of image sharing and getting feedback and and being part of a, a wider community online of people you didn't know was very 
well, remote. It, it did not exist, certainly in, in no context that, that today people would, would think of it. And so the only people that you had to kind of impress, for want of a better word, were your fellow students. So for me, that was across the whole photography school. That was probably about 45, about 45 people across the, across the three years and, and the lecturers. Right. So that was that was your kind of peer group. And and it wasn't necessarily about making things to impress people and, and to get everybody else to like it. It was to be better than everybody else, which is a sort of a, a subtle shift because you would have group critiques, you know, per year. So you would get an assignment, you put up the pictures and you wanted your picture to be better than everybody else's. Yeah. Not for everybody else to go, oh, I really like that. But to, for people to go, wow, that's so much better than mine. You know, which is which is a, a, a difference. Um, so, but in the same time, it was also very supportive that because you felt this kind of need to to compete for one of a better word, you didn't dismiss other people. Say that that's that's you're you're awful. You did it in a playful way, you know, because you can sort of sit there and go, that picture's rubbish. You should try doing something else. Um, but you didn't. You know, it, it, everybody, so everybody helped everybody else, and and that that was that was nice, and and I, I felt that exchange of ideas was was really, uh, really inspiring, and it certainly helped it push me on. These days, now with Instagram and stuff, you know, new photographers will go on online and put their their pictures up and say, "Can you can you help me?" Or you know, what what's wrong with this picture? How can I improve it? And I saw your video that, talking about. Sorry, I saw your video yeah, yeah, talking about right. that, yeah. and uh, I, I actually liked a lot what you said when you said you actually need to ask what you are looking for. If I'm, yeah. you know, saying this right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Ask, this is this is what I'm trying to achieve, and I'm not getting there. Can you help me? With the way yeah. how to get there, it's yeah. It, I mean, Instagram is not really a, a, a platform for, for for helpful critique, um, and and neither really is is, is Facebook. Um, yeah, because it's, it's so much of this is I think it's about back and forth. Um, you know, if you were to if we were to do a critique now, at least I can you know we can, we can both sort of talk about it, we can discuss it, which is which is trickier to do when it's just text based and certainly not with except if you have like a dedicated group for the critique right if you have a group of your like let's say two five ten friends who just mm. share their picture and want to know your opinion uh, yeah. about there, there is yeah I, i think that is that's kind of a, you, certainly a, a fair point is that it needs groups are easier but they need some a, almost an impartial leader If you if you want to call it that, or an impartial moderator or mentor, um, and that's what you tend not to find online, is it? which is which is a great shame. Because there are some people who are who are good at you know uh, sort of mentoring or, or, or leading a, a, a group who are trying to improve. But what you want is somebody who a yeah doesn't have an agenda, so they don't want to push their idea. Like I I know what photographs I like personally. But trying to make your photography look like mine is not – that is not what we're trying to do here. It was, you know, I, if you ask me for critique, I'm, I'm trying to steer you in the direction of the way that you want to go and give you suggestions that are going to be beneficial for you, not turn you into a, a clone of me. And that's something you don't get with smaller groups that don't have, a, say, an outside person. 
who can who can kickstart the conversation, who can offer suggestions. And that's what you so you see on the on these these forums online, it's all about I would have done this, I would have done that, da 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 da. Not have you considered this? Have you looked at so I see I recognize this picture. Have you looked at like I'm thinking about the last um uh, uh, there was an image I, I, the guy offered, asked for some critique and I offered it and it was a landscape and, and I said, look, you know, have you considered like the layering? Cause he had quite a lot of things. So he wasn't familiar with the concept of layering, but I said, this is how you can, you know, you can introduce that to your landscape photography and it makes the image so much richer. Um, but also have you looked at Faye Godwin? Cause his, his picture was somewhat reminiscent of Faye Godwin and she could be really helpful as an inspiration for you. And I think that's where it's kind of the thing as opposed to people just picking out faults and going, that's wrong, that's wrong. I would have done this better and I would have done that and and you're wrong for doing this. That there isn't, it's not a spirit of being supportive. And I, and I find that's really quite, quite sad. But <laughs> but, it, but, it, but that's online, you know, it's, it's unfortunately the nature of the beast. And you're gonna have people who who just want to use that platform to show how much that they know, okay. you know, look, look at me, look at me. This is how, how amazing I am because they just want to pick holes in other people's work. So what you would know? you recommend so, for someone who would like to, uh, you know, learn online? Th this is where I plug my own channel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it is, it is a big, it is a real big stumbling block. And I think this is why photography is in this kind of odd place at the moment that the people who who have this kind of knowledge and this experience to share don't really understand the the the, the modern digital world so they 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 don't really go on you know they don't really go online so so the new people and so people who are new to photography they are floating around looking they, they want people to help them but the only people who are offering kind of help and it's not it's just the nature of the world are people with just a little bit more experience than them and that that's okay but it's almost like the blind leading the blind <laughs> and and one of the reasons that i started the photographic guys because i you know wanted to share the knowledge and experience and then give people some direction and and it was something i struggled with for a long time is how to replicate this idea of <clears throat> that environment that I had at photo school, that where there was a lecturer who's the impartial person. Not, he doesn't want us to all look take photographs like like him. Like him, yeah. Know? Yeah, he he wants you to express your own thing, to grow and to 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 learn. Um, so so that was useful having a bunch of people want to learn, but being guided in our own individual paths by somebody who had the experience to do so and 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 I, I i don't know if there's there's a, any place that, that really exists online so so that's why i kind of thought i need somewhere where we can have discussions you know like like a face-to-face -face thing and and 40 technology has come on so we can actually do this so you can talk to people all around the world and where somebody's not selling lightroom presets that they're not setting filters. They're not saying take your pictures and make them look like mine. That 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 you could sit there and be in an environment where if you want to, like, who's your favorite photographer, for example? My favorite photographer. Yeah. So what I do is uh, a street photography. Yeah. And uh, it depends. Like basically, when you start with street photography, 
you uh, encounter uh, the great masters like Anne Katia Bresson or yeah. uh, Elliot Erwitt. And then mm. I guess it uh, tends to more go if you like color or black and white. So, mm. for example, my favorite color photographer is uh, Harry Gryard. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From from Belgium. Okay, right. So, so your interest is in street photography, right? Yes. So, and you, and you've said that you kind of like color, and you, and you're leaning in a certain direction. Yeah. So it'd be silly for me if you go. I I've looked at some feedback. It would be pointless for me to go. Um, okay, well, let's say I, let's say I'm more kind of the Robert Frank HTB okay. school of things. But he's be kind of in, in the in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but yeah, yeah so, so, so the idea is if if I'm trying to steer you to take pictures like me, yeah. which is more that kind of school of thought, then that's pointless. It's not helping you grow as a photographer. It's changing you into me. So what what we need to do is to have honest feedback that says, okay, well, you're trying to do some layering like Alex Webb, for example, mm. and I keep saying that. Um, his images are stuck in my head for some reason. <laughs> um, okay, that so this is kind of where I see, so have you considered this? This is what you could have tried, maybe if we took a step to the left here, and this guy, you know, and so that's kind of proper critique as opposed to uh, it doesn't work because it does, it's not like I would photograph it. And that's what I'm looking to, to build up in this this uh, this sort of uh, photographic eye discord community that I'm, I'm starting up as a membership on, on the site is a place where myself and hopefully I can encourage some other some people who I know like <laughs> um, uh, you know other people who have the experience to, to share. To say, look, I'm, we're going to have some sort of discussion. We can have live stream critiques or do something like this where we can have an image and then discuss it as as a class, for want of a, a better word. Because that's so important. Because I obviously have one perspective um, and, and, and other photographers will have their own. But what I found is that we learn so much more about our own photography when we look at other people's. And that when we engage with other people and talk about this, because it, it helps us unlock the little things in our own minds. And that's why I've always been a, a great um, believer in the fact that a person who picked up a camera yesterday, their opinion about a photograph, what have you, is just as valid as somebody who's been taking photographs for 60 years or is a magnet photographer, because they will see photography in a way that that magnet photographer doesn't and their input is is important everybody's feedback and input is important and because it might be an insight that you just dismissed and never even considered because oh well you can't you know you have like a, a mental barrier in your head Lock, that says yeah. yeah you can't think about it like that you that would be just ridiculous <laughs> you know um so i'm, I'm trying to think like saw lighter for example, right? So all of his his uh, reflection pictures and, and, and play with like the that. light, yeah, yeah, yeah. So think about how many photographers do things like that that somebody probably said you can't do that or you're not supposed to do that or whatever. So if if we all followed those rules, if we all stuck rigidly to these 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 ideas of what is acceptable, what isn't. Then, then our lives will just be, well, our photography will just be so dull. It'll be so boring because nobody ever experiments. Nobody ever pushes the boundary of the medium and, and see what's possible. And on the scale of the importance, where is this kind of rule game? Like, 
because I would say you need to learn some basics or you know you need to learn some quote-unquote rules to understand others work and I would like to know how important is that in the life of photographer because uh, let me give you an example like a silly one so let's say if you want to take sharp photographs you need to focus on your uh, subject that being said um, blurry photographs like for example the solitaire we talked about mm-hmm. are valid as well and it might be your it might be your artistic approach to only take blurry photographs or something like mm. that but if you don't know how this rule works if you focus on your subject it's going to be in focus you end up with some photographs being blurry and some being in focus and you don't know uh, why was that and this being mm. a silly for a silly example there are other examples of let's say a lot of people talk about a rule of thirds and then when you look at the magazines a lot of photographs uh, use this kind of rule of thirds and then if you use this kind of uh, you know rule your photographs are going to end up looking like you know regular photographs in the magazine i would say like like a stock photographs and you sometimes want that and sometimes don't so for me i think it's probably good to know how to use them and also know when to not use them or how to use them to achieve something you know you want to achieve yeah so. it is yeah there's a whole yeah that that quote about um and i'm sure there's something similar in in you know you know that you can't break the rules until you know them yeah you know that's that's always a thing and and it's funny as you were talk, talking about that, i was thinking about lego again right because obviously i'm i am now rediscovering my love for lego because the the my boy is is now old enough to play with it and i love lego right and it's interesting that my approach to lego has been you do it this way boom 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 boom. you put the you put all the bits together because that's how it's supposed to go and 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 my boy's approach is a little bit more freeform (laughs) You play like with he it just, the wrong way. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He, he builds things and it drives my wife nuts because she goes, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's like, well, you're just building things, you know. And and this is kind of the thing with, with photography is that, yes, you do need to know – you need to know the technical basics because if you're just in the in – the, if the camera is just in control of everything, then you are not really a the photographer. You're just somebody who holds a camera. And if you are just – doing this kind of fallback of like that's a mistake and saying well it's art i've made it art you know and you but you can't explain why the the photograph came out the way it is then i think that's a classic example of okay well you didn't use this in a in a focused way you didn't make a conscious decision to photograph it like that this is just an accident and and so you're kind of not really in control of of, of the medium it may be a happy accident you know it, it's absolutely fine but they have the people i think you know we were talking earlier about the the idea of sequences you know having having a body of work this kind of all over the place thing that's you know that's not somebody in in control of 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 their of their medium that's just randomly taking things so if you are able to sit and take a picture you guys can visualize what it is that you want to say what what you want to express 
then that that makes it more that you can take the rule, let's say the rule that all the bricks need to be stacked so they don't fall apart, and say, well, I'm going to let's see what happens if we try three of them like this, and then we'll try like that, and then see what happens because you we're, we're building up different technical things. But if you don't know the basics of, of creating an image, then you can't play with that palette in in a way that that allows you full expression. And uh, I don't know, it sounds like I'm sort of waffling a bit there, <laughs> but it, it but it's 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 such an interesting thing because so many certainly new photographers make mistakes and then go with art. And I think that that is, is, is like, it's okay to say that it's just art, you know, because that, that absolves me of having to uh, admit that it was a mistake or yeah. you know, some, something in those, that sort of nature. There is a quote. I will see if I can, if I can find it. Uh, yeah. So th this is from, I think, uh, Jordan Peterson. I don't know. He's uh, like a who did his name rings a bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says like rules are there for a reason. You are only allowed to break them if you are a master. If you are not master, don't confuse your ignorance with creativity or style. It, it's yeah. It, it's and see, he's just. But that's the beauty, right? He's he's managed to sum up. Um, in, in a few sentences, what well, I spent a couple of minutes <laughs> waffling around, uh, and, and but that that is that is exactly the thing, and I think this is why it gets so. It can be frustrating online because you know we were talking about critique earlier, and there are things that are quite clearly wrong, and there are things that are kind of like I can see the technique you're trying to do, but you kind of haven't broken it enough or you something like that which is an odd distinction and and that's kind of thing so if, if somebody comes up in there and says look at my but my exposure is right for this and obviously right is is a, is a arbitrary phrase and you say well it's not it's broken because you wanted to do this is what you were trying to do and your exposure is not right for what you were trying to do that is a a, a technical aspect that is broken And, but saying that that's an art thing because, mm -hmm. oh, well, I, I just wanted it like that is, is, is a nonsense. It depends so, if it's an accident or not. Like when you, for yeah, example, yeah, but, look at Fan Ho and yeah. you, you can't go there and say, okay, that's, that's overexposed. Sorry. This subject yeah. is lit in, you know, bright light. Yeah. You know, everything is white, but. That's obviously yeah, yeah. what he wanted to do. It's funny because when I started with photography, I looked up all the guides and, uh, you know, the tips. And a lot of people were saying like, okay, you need to shoot manually. You need to, you know, set your exposure. You need to uh, do this and that. And when I uh, started to do my photo walks with uh, a stroller and my kid, So I basically walk with my kids sleeping in the stroller and I have a Ricoh GR in one hand and I'm operating yeah, yeah, yeah. that with one hand. So what I do is I just set the shutter speed and let the camera do the rest because you can't, you can't do, you know, you can't shoot manually if you're doing a babysitting uh, in a stroller. But basically yeah. if you know <laughs> what you try to achieve, let's say for street photography, Uh, people tend to shoot in one twenty-fifth of a second or one two hundred fifth of the second, and you basically let the camera to decide the ISO. Of course, you 
can't influence if the shadow is going to be that black or or you know or not. No, no. But if But you the... don't know anything about it, you will just end up with you know some pictures being blurry because your shutter speed was too fast or too slow or the ISO was too high or too low or something like that. Yeah, I think that's that's probably what you mentioned. Is probably what it boils down to. If you can recognize the difference between a, a an image that has a technical mistake in it that you were not that happened because you were not in control of something and that's where the difference comes in if you if it happened because you don't know why it happened right then that's a mistake if you know why it happened and you did it purposefully then it's not a mistake it's a conscious conscious decision but it's interesting you talk about sort of manual and, and things like that now i think when you're learning photography It's, it's important to, to, to understand how your equipment works and, and being able to photograph in manual mode and take manual light meter readings and stuff like that is an important skill. But a lot of people, I think, these days confuse it with being a pro or they confuse it with being a good photographer, and it's not. It's an understanding of how things work. Um, But it's it's not something it's not like a T-shirt that you wear that says I shoot raw. So what? It doesn't make you a better photographer, right? It's it's I I could shoot JPEG. I shoot JPEG on my phone. You know, um, just because you shoot raw doesn't make you inherently better than everybody else. If you understand why you shoot raw and 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 use the capabilities of raw to its full purpose, then that's great. But it is not the be all and end all of 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 being a photographer it's just a simply a tool and and it's the same for people i got some stick the other day um in the comments not a lot of stick but people saying that that av and 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 you know shadow priority and things like that that they're a crutch and it's like well it's not really because it's exactly the same as using a light meter right you don't hold up a light meter and set everything you set i want the shutter speed or i want the aperture value and you change the other two things around it you change the iso as well to get the reading that you want, right? So if, if I know that I, so for example, you shoot on with, with shutter priority, right? And you let the camera do the ISO and things like that, right? So with, with my kid photography in the studio, because I, I shoot natural light, I take the other, um, other side of things. I know that I want, for these kind of portraits, a fairly shallow depth field, right? Because um, parents respond quite nicely to, to The kids' files, and I'm talking about sort of, yeah, sort of six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds, sort of that kind of tween-ish sort of age. Um, so I shoot aperture priority because I want my aperture to be consistent throughout every picture. I'm not going to sit and meter every picture because I need to be quicker. <laughs> you know, I've got yeah. a child. I need to photograph. I've got to be sitting and metering. And I also know in my studio enough to know what the light's doing. I've got a feel for when the light changes, right? And I can just have a quick look in my viewfinder, you know, when I'm, when I'm photographed. And just to make sure my shutter speed is not dropping too, you know, a little bit too low. And if it is, okay, well, I'll push up my, my ISO just a bit. But that comes from understanding how your camera works and how light works and how your exposure is working. It's not a crutch. The fact that I shoot like that makes no difference. Because at least I understand how the thing works. So this idea that you have to shoot manual is is a complete fabrication. So I've got, I've got my soapbox there talking, talking about things. But it's I just wish people would be a little less 
like you have to do x y and z things you know yeah it's like sorry alex um not alex sauce sorry because i see it in the comments um you know alex webb you're talking about the shadows his shadows are black like there is no shadow detail in there you know or very little uh, but that's what makes his photographs pop it makes Creating the color shapes with yeah yeah yeah, yeah because he, kno- he knows what he's doing but if you were trying to teach somebody the zone system right and you said to somebody i want you to take a picture of something that has maybe like a seven or eight stop difference right and then process the film so it brings the the, the exposure ratio down and then once you print it with with complete tonal range then of course that's a mistake you know but that's but don't confuse the two and i think that's kind of where where so, so many people lack today because they don't have this kind of more formal background that they don't see that it's a mistake if they don't know how they got to it which yeah, yeah. anyways <laughs> <laughs> one thing i think uh, this knowing all those so-called rules can help you uh when you study the photography and we have already talked about it when you yeah. take a photography book uh, and you look at uh, the pictures and you try to understand why the photographer did this and that and how he actually achieved what he wanted to achieve, right? So uh, I was wondering, what what do you think about how should people learn from photography books and uh, also a little bit talk about more photography books maybe what are your favorite the, photography books the so um one of, one of the lessons that we had at, at photo school um was to, to 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 copy um i think this the specific one that jumps to mind is is copy 1920s 1930s hollywood glamour portraits so you know the films like george Harrell kind of stuff so all these black and whites and and things and i think steichen would have done some as well and that was a, a good process of breaking down an image you know seeing well what's what are they doing here how did they get that line i think this is why they chose studio portraits because you can then copy that you know when you're outside it's a bit trickier um because you learn to read an image you learn to start looking at its, its constituent parts and when you do that you start understanding how you could do that too you know so 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 a fairly good example is, is like rim light or headlights mm-hmm. and and stuff in in a, in a ground portrait if you look at that and you go i don't know how did they get that light on the hair what do they do and then you think about it, you go okay well oh, it's because the light's over there yeah. and it's shining on the back oh, yeah. so you've you've learned because you've picked it apart and then learnt it as opposed to somebody says you need to have a light yeah you need to have a hair light you need to have this you need to have a certain lighting ratio and you need to have a kicker and then some reflectors that's not the same as you discovering all these things so you know like with having a, a, a reflector if you look at like i can see your face right now so it's sort of lighter to this side and there's something that's kicking some light back in from the other side if you don't know these things and you're trying to figure out how to light it like that and you realize that overexposing doesn't quite work and you think well i need to get more light so you you Pick up. So by looking at photographs in a, in a, in a photo book and, and looking at them that way, it, it increases your visual awareness of, of what what possibilities are there. Um, and, and I do think, you know, in terms of like favorite photography books is that people, I think, somewhat gravitate towards 
books are people who they know, and photographers who they're already familiar with. Because um, I appreciate, you know, we, we were talking you know, about the, the, the price of photography books. And some of them can be like, whoa, you're properly expensive. Yeah. So you're not going to really buy one unless you really like that photographer. So you, you talk know. about uh, monographs, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of, let's say, you go into the street photography niche. So you can yeah. buy a lot of books which are, let's say, okay, we have here, I don't know, 250 photographs from... 250 photographers and yeah. th that might be uh, something yes, maybe yeah. maybe like a crossroad for people who don't know which style they like they might go this way but also i feel like the monograph can teach you much more because you see the sequencing you see uh the style of the when we talk for example about documentary photography how the photographer decide to decided to tell the story he wanted to tell yeah yeah so yeah so monographs obviously are, are, are exceptionally good in that regard because they are they're a complete body work so they give you they give you a picture of of the, of the photography that you don't get from looking at an individual picture robert frank's jumps to mind you know the famous picture of the car with with the drape and and the and the imagery of crosses throughout his work so if you look at that car with the, that's been draped as a individual picture People go, well, I don't really get it. It's interesting, but it's not, it's not wow, you know. But then when you look through the whole body work, you realize, and and there's an example, obviously, in America, that that shape appears again and again and again and again. So there's there's an image that springs to mind of of a uh, some people standing by the side of the road in, in Texas or somewhere, and there's a there's a body line that's been in a car accident that is draped in a cloth that looks the same as the car so there's okay. this common thread that runs through it and that's kind of what i think sort of sort of people miss in regards to the ideas of of books you know talking about street photography or, or landscape photography or things as things like that they are i think they're a good way to to discover photographers whom you may not have have, have heard of um they it's it's in terms of, a, of an actual teaching you to be a photographer, that sort of thing, they tend to, I find, not necessarily be very basic because that's um, that's uh, that's probably the wrong the wrong idea, but they I, I don't think they really encourage you to to go off and do your own thing. Mm -hmm. They to, show to the photograph. best work of the photographers who are mm. you know in there, like yeah. if they're going to show you like. Two pictures of Steve McCurry. They're, they're going to show you what the, the Afghan girl and then something, mm. you, you know. So it's yeah. not. The, 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 the books like that that I find, and they're kind of monographs, but things like Magnum Contact Sheets, that's, I think that is a genius idea for, a, for, for, for books, these ideas of contact sheets around famous pictures, because you can see the process. And that's something I really, really wish there was more about is the process of creating a picture. Because I think a lot of new photographers or probably even established photographers think that's, that, that great photography is just a case of going out and snapping, boom, 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 boom. look, all the pictures are great. And it's not, you know. So seeing the process that somebody like, like Migrant Mother by Dorothy Lang, yeah. that's a great example of how a photograph 
was was constructed created and the flow yeah, yeah. and the, the process that was going on in, in dorothy's mind as she was exploring the possibilities you know that she didn't just turn up and go snap boom there you go there's a defining picture of, 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 of a generation and i'm going to move on you know um so so those kind of books i think if, if somebody was interested in, in seeing how photography is a process a visual process those kind of books i think would be certainly something i would i would recommend earlier on because they they are such a useful learning tool that also reminds you that you know people take some rubbish pictures (laughs) (laughs) but so long as you as long as you're mindful about the process and and i think street photography is is very much for a lot of new street photographers would probably just pick up a camera and randomly walk around just photographing whatever they want with any without any sort of process was there any sort of thought going on that they think that if they just walk along and snap snap snap, snap, snap that they're a street photographer and and I, I don't think that they are i think you need to have some sort of idea Cartier Bresson will wait for his decisive moment so he would see the scene and knew that it could be taken someone else alex webb does all, all, all the layering um you know Saul light is looking for for reflections and and and, and interesting colors and, and things and harry callahan and stuff and see sure they all are purposeful in what they're taking pictures of even uh joel mayovitz i think and i, I if, I'm, if i'm wrong with this one then i, I do apologize but you know he's he stands and lets lets the world flow past him like a river, and yeah. looks for interesting things. The, the, the detritus in the river, sweeping past this river of humanity. So he has a, a, a process, and and I, that's like so much in photography boils down that, that you you need to be intentional about what you're doing, you know, not just so do you randomly. Think keeping like a style is important because basically, I mean. I would say it's important within one project. Let's say if you if you do a project and it has let's say 20 30 photographs and some of them are black and white and some of them are oversaturated so some of them are overexposed and some of them are blurry and some of them are mm. uh, sharp portraits that I think it doesn't work within that project but uh, I think that learning more styles not you know putting yourself in a box like let's say i am uh, a street photographer and i'm not ever going to take a landscape or i'm Mm. not ever going to take uh, this or that but what we see from uh, a lot of famous photographers like for example when we let's say uh, for example martin parr he takes uh, a British tourists on vacation, photographs of British tourists on vacation. And he has his own style, right? And I can't imagine uh, seeing him like taking, uh, let's say, black and white landscape or macro or something like that. I know he <laughs> did something like that. In, he in, did. It's funny you mentioned in, that. In, yeah. the, in the beginning. Uh, yeah. But uh, what I tend to see is those uh, famous photographers getting famous, they try to keep their style uh, to be, let's say, unified. For example, uh, Steve McCurry, uh, 
when we look at his Instagram. All the photographs are not the same, but the theme is the same. Yeah, yeah, they have it's the colors this, oversaturated, or yeah. not, not oversaturated. I, I but think full there's, of there are two. You know, there, this is this is where there's a huge distinction between photographers who are working photographers and 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 those who are not. And the working photographers, you you hire Steve McCurry, or you hire Alex Webb, or you hire um, Desiree Doran or whatever, because you want that picture. You want an Annie Leibovitz type picture, you hire Annie Leibovitz, right? Um, so they have to kind of conform to, I think, an idea of who they are. It's the same with music, you know. You, you see what happens when bands, brand, you know, do something a bit off-piste of what oh, yeah. they normally do. It's just like, why? I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want orchestral music from, you know, some, some skinny puppy. Um, you know, so so they go, so they need to kind of conform to a certain style because of that's who they are, and and I suppose that's a crutch of of things. Nadav Kanda, I think, is probably a, a guy who can straddle this quite nicely. His work has evolved. He still has a distinct style, but he does a number of different feels. Um, and, and if people do, I'll put his name in, in the comments because um, it, it may not. Um, uh, he, yeah, he, he straddles. But for the rest of us, I think it's, it's useful to have a broad style because obviously people will, will recognize your work as, as what it is. But my personal photography style is very different to my my working my my, port, my working portraiture style, and my personal portraiture style is very different to my working portraiture style. Um, so my working portraiture needs to be accessible. It needs to be family friendly. Um, uh, it needs to be something that people would want to put up in their walls, right? So from that regard, I have that specific style. And it, and it has a, it has a couple of signifiers which, if you look at my work, would then go, okay, I, I recognize it for being Alex. Then my personal work, again, it has little signifiers, and you go, I recognize that for being Alex's personal portraiture work. And then my personal having fun pictures are, again, completely different, but they have a vague sort of style in so much as they, they tend to be they're, – they're all square. Um, I, so I, I photograph on my phone and I choose the square ratio because I, I, I like that. And they all tend to be more kind of more sort of minimalist, more kind of architectural details and, and things of that nature. So it's important, I think, to have a style that people can recognize that this is Martin's work and, and what have you. So at least you have a voice because I think if you don't have a style, then you don't have your own voice. In, in photography, but at the same time, we have the luxury as people who aren't famous of expressing different ways or exploring different ways of expressing our voices. And that of course changes over over time. You know, um, I'm sure that the photography that you take now is very different to it was say 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, it has, it, it changes. And, and, and I don't think we should be too much of a slave to to a set style, you know, they're, they're feel free to try it off because we're able to. <laughs> so. Speaking about your professional work, can you tell me something about the process when, uh, how it works at your studio when client comes 
uh, to you and says, okay, uh, Alex, I want you to take a picture of my family or my kid or, or me, you know? Yeah. So, so I tend to, unlike a lot of family, broadly speaking, family students, I tend to try and keep my focus to a couple of certain subsets. One of those is babies and there's, okay, well, <laughs> but, uh, but not newborn stuff. Um, but something else that I do is I taught, I, I definitely photograph this tween age. So kind of like 10, 11, 12, maybe 13 year old age group. And I photograph the kids individually because I find that's an extremely fascinating time in their life because they're little, they're still kids. They're little, you know, they're little girls and boys, but they're not teenagers yet. So they're kind of, so, so on one hand they can look really childish and the other hand, they start being what one parent sort of called the adult that they will become. So, you know, so they're, they're really interesting to photograph. So what I do with that, so if you think about when you go for a family picture, especially when you're older, it's you and the family and mum says you will dress like this and you'll do your hair like that and she's sort of <laughs> licking your hair and stuff like that. And as, as, a, as a child, you're kind of like, I want to express my own personality. But mum says, you're not because this is going on the wall. And you're going to express how I want you to express yourself. Um, so I do this thing called like a Who I Am project. Um, so it's basically photographing the tweens. And it's photographing them by themselves, not with a family, not with siblings. Um, and it's a chance for them to express who they are. Right. So I say to, I say to, to the parents before the kids come in, um, I've got like a little some, some questionnaires. Yeah. What's your, where's your favorite place to go on holiday? You know, what's your favorite food? You know, that sort of thing. Who's your best friend and favorite sports you play and for them to bring in things that they like their hobbies and, you know, and, and, and anything that expresses their life really. Um, so a couple of changes of clothes and I will make it very relaxed very low back. So I have, as I mentioned earlier, um, in my studio, I have a, a lovely big window that I can use for natural light. So that's, that's great. So, so the environment doesn't feel sterile. Like I would, if you go into a studio with lots of strobes and, and stuff, we'll spend about 10 minutes having a chat. And this is all part about getting that child to feel relaxed. Right. Cause you know, I think if you think back to anything that we do, that we don't often do, we are a little bit tense, a little bit nervous, you know, going to the dentist or something like that. Um, because we don't know what to expect. And, and photography is, is a, is a similar sort of thing. If we're going to be photographed. We don't really know what to expect. So if the child comes in and, Hey Martin, you know, so how old are you? When's your birthday? Oh, your birthday's in September. Do you know my brother's birthday is in September, but I think that you're probably a little bit younger than my brother, you know, stuff like that. And it sounds a bit cheeseball and stuff. And it's not a script, but it's just connecting with the child. And Some I, I breakers. Yeah, yeah, and I don't really talk to the parent. I don't say, so, Mrs. Martin, you know, uh, you know, what what do you want? It's not about her right now. It's about the the, the, the kid. And we'll start off with, well, fine. We usually we find some sort of common thing to talk about, video games or music or, or something. So it's psychology uh, more than... Yeah, you just, I haven't even picked up a camera yet, you know, and it's like... And I'll go, so they might say if they're into dancing, I say, well, look, you know, photography is a lot like dancing. So we're going to do some warm up pictures first, just so you can get a bit loose and, and stuff. And we'll do some, some basic lean against the wall, do this, do, you know, so that, and I don't, I don't really give the kids too much. Can you move your hand like this? And can you just 
little that and so there's none of that it's a little bit more kind of it's it's posed but it's just a little bit more relaxed because these are also kids you know um so, so they're not going to look for those like kind of casual looking shots like taking the yeah, picture when yeah. so, so you are not like this type of like say cheese and no 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 <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. no and and that's i think is is part of what makes this kind of photography different is that i don't ask them to smile and in fact i say to them at the beginning if the kid's very like like doing this okay you know so there's these sort of smiles i say look you don't have to smile if you don't want to right so you just don't feel that you need to smile you just you just look at me you know stuff like that. and i don't i don't contrive ways for them to to smile but what i do do is put their minds in a situation where they could think about thing so out of the window because it's frosted i can have them look out the window and and i sort of say so you know so where's your um where's your favorite place to go on holiday and they might say you know turkey or you know italy or somewhere like that and i say well i want you to just imagine right looking out the window we're flying down into the into the, and you can see the sea or you can see you know whatever that they like and that puts their minds into somewhere else. it takes them out of the idea they're being photographed okay and and it also gives their their the eyes you know the, the eyes window to the soul kind of stuff okay it it puts a story in in their eyes and and they start to relax and they do all, you know sort of things and and i have some set sort of places that i go with in the studio and then we just once they've kind of warmed up after about sort of 10 15 minutes we can try different things and occasionally like if i see that they've got a bit, bit more kind of a a model-y kind of face so by that I mean I can, they've got a, a, a they've got a blue steel sort of expression going on which is a Zoolander thing then I go do you know what and I've got some examples up and I said do you want to try something like that or like this or whatever you know and then they go yeah it's, it's cool but the whole thing is just laid back it's not Hello. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like big smiles and stuff like that yeah. look yeah it's not like I said it's sausages or something it's just it's talking and this is where I think a lot of photographers, especially photographers who, who are interested in, in portraiture fall down a bit is because they're not they're not so in control of their technical abilities that that can be second nature without them having to think about it. Okay. So they spend all their time fussing with the cameras and you're sitting there as the subject going He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> it's not so much he doesn't know what he's doing. You'll, you'll feel like you're not part of the process. Okay. But if, if I can do all of that with not really even looking at you, but spend all my time talking about you, or, you know, talking to you, then you feel like we're part of the process. And the whole thing just flows a lot smoother, especially for young kids who so desperately want to express themselves, who want to be them. And when they have somebody who's allowing them to do whatever it is that they want – Right. And obviously give them a bit of guidance about you sit here or sit there or, you know, whatever. <laughs> Then it just makes the picture so much more honest, it makes them real, it makes them have life. And that's really what I, I would like from a, um, a, a portrait that and I know that family photography can get a bit of a, a, a stick because it's not serious. Okay. It's not important, you know, you know. There aren't monographs devoted to family portrait photographers. There are no family portrait photographers in the Magnum. But that, what you're creating for these people, is something 
massively important because it's going to stay in that family for, for decades, right? Um, I have all those monographs and stuff downstairs and, and they, they are, I like them and they're, they're, you know, they, they're valuable. But if I were to lose them, okay, whatever, I'll go and get the insurance money and I'll, re, you know, I'll, I'll replace them. Hmm. The pictures of my little boy and, and all those kids who I photograph and my gran and my grandfather and my family and, and all these things. Yeah. yeah. Those things, and it's such a cliche, but it's true, is that what you're creating as a as a family portrait photographer isn't just a thing to be sold. It's not just an emotional uh, uh, way of, of trying to tease some money out of somebody. You are making a – I don't want to say heirloom because it's such a horrible word. But you're making a record of this person at that age. And that's where that so much power comes into photography is that those pictures, and I'm sure that if you close your eyes and I'm sure that the people who are watching just close their eyes and they think about pictures from their own childhood, that picture that stands out, one of the, one, maybe the, your parents got a shoebox or something, it triggers all the other emotions of the time and place. I, I think about my Scottish grandfather who was the one who was a, a keen amateur photographer. And there's a picture of me with his dog in a park in Glasgow. And that picture then becomes driving up to Glasgow, having iron brew, having fish suppers, going, walking on the hills in Glasgow, be told about the things. So it's all these sorts of things. So that picture is extremely powerful, but it's not, it's not a great photograph. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a thing, but that's kind of, I think what I'm trying to get into with these, these family portrait things is there are so many, styles so many contrivances wearing the flat cap the little kids with the braces and you know and and all sort of Other things trends? like people come and yeah, say yeah, okay yeah, i yeah, saw yeah. my neighbor you know with this kind of style yeah. or this photograph and i want the same and then the yeah. other year people come with different ideas there are trends there are, there are definitely trends and there are things that, that people want so so it, it's slightly more for younger kids um, where they get dressed up in things, you know, fairy outfits and all, all sort of stuff. Um, and because they, you know, the parents go, oh, it's so sweet. And you don't want to suck as a young, uh, you know, a young father yourself. Um, but, but, you know, they're, they're kind of a thing. And, and, but it's not new. It's not new. I have a, I have a, a, a book of a Victorian, uh, Victorian portraiture. And, The children's pictures are the same. That it's a little kid, you know, standing and there's, there's, there's one of the things that strings by is they've made like a top sail of, of an old sailing ship, so like a kind of a crow's nest. And the kid's standing in there with like a little sailor outfit. It's about sort of five or something. Uh, and this is also after daguerreotype, so you can actually is you know not have to sit there for hours. Um, and it could it could be photographed. Or could have been photographed yesterday, because it's a set with with a kid in some sort of cute outfit, and and so not, there's nothing new, you know. It, it's people put people put babies in in little galvanized sink baths and things and take a picture of them. You know, we all see it happens these days. 
It was happening 100 years ago. So there's nothing new. But that's kind of where you think about, like, if you're looking for at the history of photography, if you're looking at older photographs, that is such a useful resource of inspiration that if you wanted to take photographs that don't look like anybody else's, but you're struggling to find inspiration, then go back to the 90s, go back to the 80s, go back to the 70s, go back to the 60s. And, and don't look necessarily at the great photographers, but just every day, you know, magazine photography from then, you know, advertising photography, um, you know, a lot of, I, I draw a lot of inspiration from the 90s, you know, so, so and it's all music album cover artwork and that sort of thing, because it, it, it's, it's a source of inspiration that isn't influencing everybody else. So your, your photography then becomes unique. Everybody's looking on Instagram for inspiration. So all, that's why all their pictures look, Look the same. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's you know. So that, that's, so that's kind of yeah. My my portrait sort of photography thing. And do um, you think you maybe following those trends maybe unconsciously? For example, when you, how does your professional work influences your personal photography? Because I know you are a father of three or. So, um, <laughs> you know, are you like, okay, this was a great idea I, I had in the studio. Let's let's do this. Let's do that. Do you know, in, interestingly enough, with the exception of one thing that I do for for, for littler kids, um, I have photographed my boy, doing, and he's three, um, and I find it's very tricky. And I think you may uh, sort of, you know, have this similar experience, is that when a child comes into the studio i get a window of opportunity because i'm a new person in their life so they will be fairly <laughs> they'll be fairly well behaved um it's very rare that i have a child that's completely ill-mannered um and and they will listen to me in a way that they don't listen to their parents if i start taking pictures of my little boy especially now that he's got a bit more of a personality is a bit more sort of mindful of what he wants to do it is so much harder because he doesn't take the direction in the same way that the other kids do granted he's a little bit younger because he wants to see what daddy's doing okay and he wants to be on top of me so i have to be a little bit more tricksy about how i take <laughs> the photographs so i need to set something up and this is why I prefer not to photograph him in the studio, um, is to set up, so, so treat it almost like street photography. To go, this, there's a picture here. I would like the boy to be in this part here. So I would contrive a way, can, can you go and get that stick? Can you go and do this? Can you go and do that? And then he kind of falls into the, the, the trap. <laughs> <laughs> and then I snap the snapshot. Um, but so that's where, you know, having other skills come in. So it's interesting, that the photography that I have of, of my boy is very different to the photography that I have in the studio of other people's children. Um, mostly because I can't photograph him the same way because he reacts to me extremely differently. Um, whereas we went to a friend of mine uh, who's also a photographer last year for some family portraits because obviously it's a bit tricky as a photographer to have. And actually because my wife wanted some actual like kind of you know, proper family portraits. So he went to a friend and my boy was as good as gold. He took direction. He, he was charming and funny and, and gave us some lovely photographs, 
but it, he was he was reacting to that photographer in a way that he would never do with me. Um, so the pictures that I take of him now tend to be a little bit more quirky, if you want to give it a word, because because um, I've sort of given up using my DSLR and just use my my phone now. Um, most people take pictures yeah. of their children with their phones. So I, I yeah. was wondering, do you have any like tips for someone who has a child and uh, comes and say, "Hey, Alex, what would you, what would you uh, tell me to get better with my with my photography?" Uh, for example, one one technical advice I would give to someone who comes and asks me about about taking pictures of their child is. Mm. For example, get to their eye level. It comes more from the street photography, where, for example, when you take picture of dog and you take it at the eye level, mm. like for example, Elliot Erbit, you know those famous photographs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I found ninety percent of people takes they take pictures of their children uh, just you know standing, taking the camera, and all those shots kind of look same, you know, from above. The, the children is doing something and when you get lower it kind of changes the perspective so do you have any, like, yeah. tips to mm, you know magically get better in <laughs> that, that would be a great thumbnail you know uh, <laughs> how to magically take professional family photographer yeah. to uh, instantly improve your kids <laughs> photography game yeah um i think i think the biggest thing the absolute biggest thing is to stop worrying stop worrying so much about the type of picture that you want to take um obviously within my if within the studio i have some i i have some sections to go through they're not they're not built sections they're not you know they're not sets or they're not seats but i want to photograph in that corner of the room i want to go to this corner of the room i want to go to that window and i'm going to go to there and these are all little ideas in my head and I can do some pictures in there. But if something's not working, you can't sit there with a child and go, hang on a second, this isn't working. Um no, nah, it's just it's just right. You just move on. Right. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like a magician, a card magician never tells you the trick that they're going to do. Right? Because if you pick the wrong card, they can't do that trick. So their trick will be based on the card that you pick. Right? Um, so that's what I think. So, so I don't tell the kids, look, you know, you, you're going wrong. In regards to having pictures of the children, so this is, you know, if you're taking a picture of the children or you, of your own children, it's you go, oh, it'd be nice. And and parents often go, stand over there, look at the camera, smile, say <laughs> cheese, whatever. Um, and they're trying to shoehorn the child into something. And quite often the child's like, no, I don't want to know. And that's why you get these kind of... Mm, so, you know, especially when they become teenagers, it's like the stand over there and sort of thing. And what I tend to do with, with, with my boy is he's quite energetic. He's quite inquisitive. He's quite full on to things and stuff. And it's to look at what he's interested in at the moment and find a way to photograph that from a, a slightly more sort of documentary perspective. Because I think, you know, if you think about the photographs that have the, the certainly the, 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 the best ability to put us in a time and a place need a suggestion of where that time and place is. So just a picture of this doesn't really give us much to go on. So find what he's interested in, 
look at how it could be a, a cool picture and then either wait for him to react to me somehow or just kind of go ah, what's that? or some you know whatever sort of works works for you and then he will give you a natural expression he'll give you something like because you've you're not taking him out of what it is that he wants to do you're photographing him doing what it is that he wants to do so if you treat it like a documentary photograph is that you can't go up to people in the street and say can you just could you just look here for a minute or whatever and i think that's where pe parents will find that they are now getting pictures of their children being children and and that's really kind of what i certainly want from from the pictures of my boy is that i don't necessarily want a picture of him just standing in front of something I want him because he one day he might not have all this energy. One day he might lose his inquisitiveness. When he becomes a teenager, he's he's no doubt, if he's anything like me, going to be extremely sullen and withdrawn and mopey. And I want to see him as a child. I want to see him having fun with things. You know, if he's got a big stick or if he's jumping in a puddle, don't say to him, don't jump in the puddle. Just go and see. And and the lockdown stuff last year was was a great example of this. To we live in the countryside, so we we're fortunate we could go out for walks in the forest and stuff like that. And so there are pictures of him jumping in puddles and doing all sorts of things that his mum doesn't really like it when I <laughs> do that. Um, and and those are natural, lovely pictures. And when I look at those, they make me smile. And, and that's him because I wasn't trying to force him to do something that was, you know, that's, that's against his will. So I think if you want to take great pictures of certainly younger children or even older children, is to not make a big production about it. To to use your your skills as a photographer, I think it's a Cartier Bresson quote. Uh, what was it? The, the eye of a hawk and a velvet glove, or something, <laughs> something like that. So not that sure you kind. <laughs> um, but the basic was like to look to look like to seek out things but then be gentle with them when you want to photograph it you know because because that's that's the beauty the, the 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 joyous pictures the pictures that are so wonderful and that they connect with us as 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 human beings they have a gentleness to them and and those scenes can just be gone in an instant if you are too forceful that 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 loveliness will just it's like when you're trying to be inspired if you're yeah. i'm going to be inspired now i'm going to be inspired and i'm like not and then you know it's it's trying to make a child have a great picture is just a recipe for i, I think for an average picture okay let them be themselves and 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 just run with it and yeah and if and if, if they're not technically perfect or whatever pfft, doesn't matter because they're pictures of for your for your enjoyment yeah, and your nobody else's yeah yeah Perfect. yeah mm. thank you no no you're welcome oh there was one thing i just I sort of thought yeah if you do want to be a, a child photographer and this is what i was saying about my little boy don't photograph your own children as <laughs> a practice um because it doesn't uh d does not um it, it's no good as soon as you photograph people who you know it's a very different kettle of fish to photographing models or strangers and stuff yeah there we go
Thank you once again for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to it. Please give this podcast a five-star rating, review, and please take a screenshot and throw it out on your Instagram stories so other people might find it as well. Come back next week because I will be talking to more guests such as Eric Kim and W. Scott Olson, university professor and photographer. I'm very happy you are tuning in for another episode of podcast about photography. Until next time.